Good evening, everyone. My name is Marty Shaw, and welcome to a new episode of Murders and Mysteries of New England. In tonight's episode, we will visit another New England state, also known as the Green Mountain State. Vermont is known for its lush forestry, destination-worthy skiing, and its maple syrup. Bordered by Quebec, Canada, to its north, New Hampshire to its east, Massachusetts to its south, and New York to its west, Vermont is not known for its dense population, with Montpelier, its capital, only being home to less than 8,000 in 2020. But even with a small population, Vermont has seen its share of unnecessary violence towards its citizens. Tonight, we will look at one of these cases of violence, where the killer is still not known over 50 years later. We're looking at the case of the death of Rita Curran, so sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Just a quick warning to my listeners, this episode will talk about sexual assault and rape. If you or someone you know is in an abusive situation, please reach out to a trusted friend, family member, or medical professional. No one deserves abuse, and no one deserves the trauma that comes with abuse. Rita Curran was only 24 years old when she was found dead in her home on July 19th of 1971. She lived in Burlington, Vermont, which at the time, violence was not a common occurrence. She was a full-time second grade teacher at Milton Elementary School, but worked part-time as a maid at the South Burlington Colonial Motor Inn. She took summer courses at the University of Vermont and had come across an ad for a roommate part-time over the summer. This would have been her first time living on her own, and she had moved out of her parents' home one month before the unfortunate event. I could not find much about before the murder, but what we do know is that Rita began receiving mysterious calls before she was murdered. It is unclear how far out the calls began before her murder, but when she answered, she was met with heavy breathing. It occurred in the evenings, but never at a particular time or on a particular day. On July 19th, the night she was murdered, Rita stayed out until 10 p.m. practicing with her barbershop quartet. She was known to have been very, almost painfully shy, but she branched out by meeting with the barbershop quartet. About an hour later, her roommates Beverly Lamphere and Carrie Duan left the apartment to grab a late-night bite to eat at a local restaurant. Beverly took the only set of keys in the house and left the door unlocked. The two roommates came back with one of the women's boyfriend, Paul Robinson, around 1 a.m. and spent some time in the living room. They assumed Rita was asleep at this point, and it wasn't until Beverly walked into the bedroom she shared with Rita that the roommate would make a horrifying discovery. Lying on the floor of the shared bedroom was Rita's partially nude body. She was found bound with piano wire, her skin torn and bloodied from struggling against it. She had shown signs of being sexually assaulted, as her torn underwear were found underneath her body. She also showed signs of being manually strangled, as well as being beaten on the head and face. Her blood was found smeared on the inside of the kitchen door, and it appeared as if the blood rubbed off the killer's hand as they were fleeing the scene through the back door, located in the kitchen. It appeared as if Rita was getting ready for bed, as she was found with curlers in her hair. It also appeared as if she fought back against her attacker. 
In the immediate aftermath of the murder and discovery, authorities instituted a news blackout around the case. State's attorney at the time, Patrick Leahy, wanted no information released about the progression of the case, and the news blackout did not end until September of 1971, when Leahy announced his intentions to present evidence to a grand jury in relation to Rita's murder. However, it is unknown if a grand jury was ever called, and charges were not officially filed in the case. This did not stop the investigation, as police immediately began to look at suspects. Paul, at one point, suggested police were pointing fingers at him, as he was the only male in the house at the time of the murder. Police concluded that Paul could not be a suspect in the crime after an interrogation and a polygraph test. However, this did not immediately rule out Rita's two roommates, as the two along with Paul were told not to leave Burlington for the first month of the investigation. When questioned by the police, Beverly and Carrie, her roommates, could not give much information about Rita before the murder, as she spent little time in the apartment due to work, school, and spending her time with friends and family. At one point, police considered an unnamed neighbor a quote-unquote prime suspect, as physical evidence was found at the scene. It is unclear what physical evidence was found, and the neighbor was not arrested after voluntarily taking a polygraph test and being interrogated. The interrogation was done possibly because of a rape accusation, but there was not enough evidence at the crime scene to make an arrest. Several potential suspects were reported about in the local news, but none led to an arrest. This included one individual who died of a drug overdose and another individual who was killed on the highway. Several men also admitted to the murder, but all reports ended up being false claims. In 2019, the Burlington investigators decided that the best chance of finding Rita's killer was to add more resources and fresh perspectives to the case. This was done by enlisting the help of a dozen detectives, identification technicians, and officers to re-examine historical data and evidence. Much of the evidence collected during the initial investigation was collected incorrectly, causing a lot of evidence to be unusable in the investigation. An offer of $3,000 was offered for information leading to anything that could help the investigation, but no one came forward. While we do not have any official suspects to look at in this case, we do have two people in particular to look at, and one of these people you may already be familiar with. But we will look at the less infamous one first, the unknown peeping Tom. Several women reported to the police before Rita's killing of late-night intruders that fled when the women caused attention to themselves. Several more women reported a peeping Tom, seen mostly around the university, where Rita went to school. Many women that lived in nearby areas reported receiving threatening phone calls, and more women reported seeing a tall man on their porch turning their doorknob as if he was trying to get in. A home invasion occurred in October of the previous year, in which a young woman was knife-attacked in her sleep. This attack occurred three blocks from where Rita would be living, and when the woman began to scream, the attacker was frightened and dropped the knife before running off. Another home invasion occurred a week before Rita was murdered, in which a 20-year-old woman was awoken and raped at 4am by a home intruder.
The unnamed woman described the attacker as being 16 or 17 years old. It is unclear if either attacker was caught, and officers did not look further into the connections between the Prowler, the anonymous calls, and Rita's death. The next potential suspect we will be looking at, someone you may have already known about, is the infamous Ted Bundy. While we can't officially consider him a suspect in this case, there are some connections between Rita's death and Ted Bundy we should look at. Rita worked at the South Burlington Colonial Motor Inn, which is not too far from the Elizabeth Lund Home for Unwed Mothers, where Ted Bundy was born. Rita's death also fits Bundy's modus operandi, or his particular method of killing. He would approach his victims feigning injury before leading his victims to a secluded area. He would knock his victims unconscious, stuff their bodies into his car, strangle his victims while they were unconscious, and then commit necrophilia, or having sex with his victims as corpses. This fit Rita's death. She had trauma to the head, she was strangled, and she was sexually assaulted. Bundy was also active during this time, but evidence suggests Bundy was not in Vermont at this point. Investigators spoke with Bundy before his 1989 execution, before proceeding to remove him as a suspect. But, with a new look into this case, Bundy cannot be ruled out. Not much can be found of the case over 50 years later, filing the case as a cold case. Rita's mom believed there was a quote-unquote cover-up with her daughter's case, but never elaborated much further. She believed there was a lot more that could have been done, but wasn't for political reasons. She stated that Rita planned on returning to her parents' home a few days before she was killed, and this was a decision made after an argument with her roommates over a man spending the night. If Rita was alive today, she would have been in her 70s. This means if her killer was either the same age or a similar age, the suspect could also still be alive today. If you have any information leading to a suspect or an arrest, please call the Burlington Police Department's cold case tip line at 802-540-2421 or the Vermont State Police Major Crimes Unit. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to this case as much as I enjoyed researching and writing about it. As sad as this case is, there is still hope to bring closure to Rita's family as until her killer is caught, the investigation remains open. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving it a rating on the streaming service that you're listening to this on, and stay tuned for the next episode, where we will continue to discuss murders and mysteries in New England.